Bud Light presents Real American Heroes. Real American Heroes. Today we salute you, Mr. Golf Ball Washer Inventor. Mr. Golf Ball Washer Inventor. The time-honored game of golf is the sport of kings, and kings don't play with dirty balls. Don't play dirty. Because of you, we can give our balls a sudsy tumble at every tee. The result: clean, shiny balls every time we whack 'em. Flying high. Drive after drive, putt after putt, hole after hole, our dimpled balls stay clubhouse clean. Keep on driving. So crack open an ice cold Bud Light, Mister Launderer on the Links. You are in our thoughts every time we jiggle our balls. Mister Golf Ball Washer in there. Bud Light beer and Isaac Bush St. Louis. Missouri. I was the butt of quite a few pranks over the years. There was a time or two after a game where Maddox would find something important to talk to me about in the shower. I'd be locked in, engaged in conversation. I mean, you're talking to Greg Maddox, and everybody else in the shower would start snickering. I'd look down, and he'd be peeing all over me. (laughs) Yeah. Hall of Fame move by Greg Maddox. Doggy. Well, I mean, you know, everybody's got these little, you know, idiosyncrasies, and Doggies was trying to gross people out. And uh, (laughs) I, I tell you what, he did it to me when I was a young enough kid that... I let him get away with it. I think, you know, seven, eight years into my career, there might have been a, uh, there might have been a naked fight in the shower, to be honest with you. Myself, Jerome Walton, Dwight Gooden, Sean Dustin, we were sitting in the jacuzzi and he asked me, he says, hey, Hulk, have you ever seen four black guys run from one white guy? And I looked at him kind of, uh, amazed and I said, no, 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 mad dog, not really. So he said, no, no. He said, seriously, have you ever seen four black guys run from one white guy? And I nodded and I said, no, again. And he walks over to the jacuzzi and he drops his shorts and starts taking a leak in the jacuzzi. And, uh, man, we were scattering everywhere. Uh, So he looked at it and he said, run, brothers, run. one more time set and here comes the 2-2 pitch to Edgar Martinez down the fastball swung on and it's a deep center field Bernie Williams goes back and it is get out the right red and the mustard this time grandma it is a grand salami and the Mariners lead it 10-6 to six. I don't believe it From high atop the Robinson Gearing Studio Complex and straight out of God's country, Pauley's Island, South Carolina, the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network proudly presents Backwards K Pod. And now, here's the host of the show, Jake Robinson. Good moment, baseball universe. What is up? Once again, back is the incredible, the pod animal, Jake the Snake Robinson from the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. I'm coming out of Paulie's Island, South Kakalaki, half man, half podcast machine. Back in the Captain Kirk chair, shields down, boats on, up. Prepare to engage on this week's digital audio program that I call Backwards K-Pod, where we collect ball players 
and their stories. What's cracking? What's juicy, Seamheads? Oh, man, I love connecting with you freaks every week. I really do. You guys bring me balance, resolve, and purpose. And I sure do appreciate it. Sometimes it's easy to forget that while it appears I'm the one doing the service for you, it's truly you, the greatest baseball podcast audience from over 35 countries around the world that is doing the service for me. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to my dojo. I'm Jake Robinson, and this is BKP, where every week I take a historical and biographical look at all the indelible characters and moments of our national pastime. I will never charge you for the baseball content. No Patreon. No pay-to-play crowdsourcing. Uh... There isn't a podcast that I would ever pay to listen to. So I'm never going to do that to my audience. I'm just going to keep coming through every Tuesday with that free baseball smoke. You don't want that smoke. And I'm going to keep it consistent like Stan Musil says. Uh, you know, some of you probably tell I've picked up the pace a little bit the past couple of weeks here. And I anticipate that this is the way going forward. I want to thank the fans who have been sending me positive vibes through the emails, texts, and calls. Thanks, bro. I say it all the time. There's nothing in my life I enjoy more than grabbing a microphone and pontificating the seams with you freaks. My dream is to leave the gospel of baseball behind for future generations. And because of your support, I'm living my dream every week. Man, I love you guys for that. Nothing lasts forever. But as long as we are on this roll, I'm going to give it 110% of what I got in my tank. Now, I did make a mistake last week. Actually, I made a couple last week. Uh, I mistakenly said it was Trick Speaker's 125th birthday. It was actually his 135th birthday. You know, you can blame that on the bomber education system that I had growing up. So, my bag on that. But... Uh, I also made another mistake. I told you today's show was going to be on Chipper Jones, and I totally misspoke there. This week's show is actually Greg Maddox, and next week's show is Chipper. And I'm sorry about the confusion there. That's on me. I own that. But look, as my social media coordinator, Omar Gabi, told me, uh, the Braves fans, they're going to be happy either way. And, you know, he ain't wrong. I apologize for giving you bad info, but I got to think the disappointment of not hearing about Chipper Jones this week is dulled by the Mad Dog bio and the knowledge that Jones will be there next week for all of you, uh, Brave Streaks. So, with that being said, I'm going to get ready to get after it. We got a lot of ground to cover this week, so let's try to get this platform cleared. Get you on our BKP time travel choo-choo while I call all aboard as we set our date and destination for April 14th, 1966, San Angelo, Texas. I got my boy Gage Gian finally back in the house. It's so good to fucking see you, bro. Have you ever heard of San Angelo, Texas? Of course, man. That's West Texas right there. No shit. So how That is true Texas. Really? And how far away is, is that from where you grew up? So I grew up in Dallas. Uh-huh. San Angelo is about five hours west of Dallas. Nice. So you probably spent a little bit of time there at all, huh? I've played a golf tournament there, too. Okay. Yes, sir. There's nice. not a lot there. Right, okay. I can. And a lot there. Is it a small town? 
Oh yeah. And it's um, a, well. Is it still an Air Force town? It's not. It's not an Air Force town anymore. Okay. Um, although there is a base about ten miles north. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's it's got that small town feel, but it is it is a bigger town for that area. Interesting. Okay. Well, April 14th, 1966. Uh, that's where he's born, San Angelo, Texas. 57 years ago, uh, this Friday coming up. So in a couple of days after this drop, uh, Greg Maxman goes uh, celebrating his 57th birthday. Um, and that's where, you know, San Angelo, Texas, that's where the game of baseball was given an absolute gift with the birth of the great Greg Maddox. In August of 1995, Greg Maddox is the ace of the Braves' staff, and he's pitching against his former team, the Cubs, out at the friendly confines of Wrigley. He's on the verge of tying the MLB record of 16 consecutive road wins. And with two outs at the top of the third, Maddox, who is always a pretty good hitter for a pitcher, he singles to left to start a five-run rally. By the time Mad Dog had taken the bump in the bottom of the third, he's now staked to a 5 nothing lead. And in the press box, a Chicago writer mumbles, you know, this is like giving a regular human being a 15 to nothing lead. And that off-the-cuff remark is a genuine reflection of the dominance that Maddox displayed during the 1990s and the awe and the esteem that he garnered by teammates and rivals alike. Of course, you know, Maddox held on to that five-point lead. He won the game as well as, uh, you know, the last five games he pitched before the 1995 season ended. I mean, he just went off that year. He became the first pitcher in the history of our game to win four consecutive Cy Young Awards. And this is while the big steroid sluggers were changing the game. 1994, 1995, he posted ERAs of 1.58 and 1.63. That's minuscule in any baseball area, but certainly historic in relation to what was going on in the game at that time, as well as in relation with the league ERA in each of those seasons. Gregory Allen Maddox, born April 14th, 1966, San Angelo, Texas, where his father served for the U.S. Air Force. His Father Dave graduated from high school in Decatur County, Indiana in 1957. He joined the Air Force. Uh, When his girlfriend Linda graduated a year later, back in Indiana, the couple was married. His older sister Terry Lynn was born in 1959 when his father was stationed in Anchorage, Alaska. And the family was stationed at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio, when his brother Mike was born in 1961. After two years in Taiwan, the Maddox unit returned stateside again, and Mad Dog was born. Soon after Greg's birth, the Vietnam War popped off, and Dave did a year tour in Thailand. His mother took the kids to Decatur County to be closer to her and Dave's family, and she awaited her husband's return. When Dave returned, the Maddox family unit, they reverted back to their nomadic ways of following the plan of the United States Air Force. And they found their places in you know, spots like uh, Minot, South Dakota for a year. Riverside, California for three. 
Then he went to Spain for another three years. And it was actually in Spain where the Maddox children became active in sports. Carolyn always had wheels, and she loved competition. She participated on the high school track and field team in high school, and she continued her passion and love for running by competing in many marathons throughout her life. She also loves playing baseball with her brothers. By 19, you know, the 1960s and 70s, society, you know, they shunned her from playing baseball, and she got into softball. And Mike and Greg's first exposure to shank, uh, sanctioned Little League Baseball was actually in Spain. Their mother, Linda, once said, the boys would come home from Little League, Little League all hot and sweaty and dirty. They would run right back outside to play more baseball. And they were just doing what they loved, and I let them. And everyone survived. Dave Maddox finally received his last transfer to Nellis Air Force Base in August of 1976 in Las Vegas, Nevada. He did receive orders to go back to Anchorage, Alaska, but Dave opted to retire instead. At, at one time, uh, you know, retiring in Anchorage, it appealed to he and Linda when they were younger. But Terry Lynn and Mike were in college, and the parents were never really considering leaving them behind. And Steve, Instead, Dave retired and became a poker dealer in various casinos along the Vegas Strip. Terry was in her junior year at UNLV. Mike was a sophomore at UTEP, Texas, El Paso. As for Greg, he found himself in a whole different school district from the one his siblings had been in, while his brothers and sisters had attended Rancho High School as children of a military vet. And with his father a civilian now, Greg and his parents moved to Southeast Vegas, where Greg attended Valley High School. Greg played JV baseball, but baseball coach, uh, I'm sorry, he played basketball and baseball. But the baseball coach, Roger Fairless, he discouraged him from playing multiple sports and told him to concentrate strictly on his pitching. Maddox would reward his coach with absolute submersion in his craft, and he led the team to the state baseball high school title uh, his junior year. Now, Besides the influential Fairless in his baseball orbit, Maddox also had a private pitching coach, Ralph Meter. Or Mater. I hope I didn't butcher your name, sir. And he oversaw his workouts as well. And all of his Sunday morning organized pickup games in Vegas. It was Mater's job to tap into the promise of young Greg's first season here, uh, you know, first kind of, you know, investing himself in his pitching. And Maddox to this day calls him the, first, the very first pitching coach that he ever had. And that was at 15 years old. He taught the boy that, and here's another thing. Greg did have a big arm as a kid. I mean, that's basically what you get drafted on eventually. So he did have a big arm. But he told him that the valuable lesson that he would use, and he would use it throughout his career, is he taught Greg that movement is always more important than velocity. I'm going to repeat this for any young pitcher who is out there right now listening. Movement 
is more important than velocity. And when the professor talks pitching, you know, it's wise to just, you know, be quiet, sit down and listen. So instead of building Maddox into a power arm, Mater taught the kid how to move the ball, make it sink. And to this day, Greg is thankful about how fortunate he was to learn these skills at such a young age. And Greg would say many times, I was ultimately drafted because I threw harder than the average kid my age, for sure. But throwing hard will only get you drafted. It's not going to get you to the dance. The ability to make good pitches is what's going to get you to the dance. And that's how you're going to stick. Once he was drafted and competed with his minor league peers, Maddox never turned heads because of velocity. He never had a large arsenal of superior baseball skills in the power department. No big 12-6 to looping yacker. Instead, Maddox learned to pitch at a very young age. Throughout his career, Greg was known for filthy late movement, pinpoint accuracy, and you can tell. This studious accountant-looking motherfucker's got a plan. He established himself as a true cerebral assassin at a young age, studying hitters and leaving them waving at nothing but air. On pitches, let's face it, they hardly seem imposing on the way to the dish. Well, you know, at least the first two-thirds of the way to the dish, I should say. Maddox had every intention of attending the University of Arizona to play for coach Jerry Kendall, who had already won two national championships, was on his way to a third. However, the Chicago Cubs had different plans as they drafted him in the second round of the 1984 MLB Amateur Draft. And with some bonus cash, and you know, Maddox decided to skip school and begin his professional career. Maddox put that bonus money in the bank in case this baseball thing doesn't work out. And he lived on his minor league salary in addition to the money he saved from working at Wendy's and Sears during the summer. And boy, I can only imagine, you know, you go in and look at a, you know, a washer and dryer and Greg Maddox, the, the kids try to sell you one. Think about that. That's funny. There's a, there's a joke there somewhere. I can only wonder how long it took for Greg to recognize uh, he could go ahead and spend that bonus cash because this baseball thing is looking pretty promising. He rockets through the farm system with a steady rhythm that defines his work on the bump. In 1984, he cruises his way through the rookie league. In 85, he dominates Class A. In 86, he he goes through two levels of the Cubs farm system in a very ho-hum, matter-of-fact manner before receiving a September call-up to the big show. Maddox made his MLB debut as a pinch runner for the Cubs in the 17th inning of a game against the Astros on September 3rd, 1986. A game that had actually started the day before, but was suspended by darkness. Remember, the Cubs didn't have lights until 1988. That's still two years away. So, every once in a while, games would be suspended to darkness. 
He would stay in the game and pitch the 18th inning. He gave up an earned run, and he took the loss. Just four days later, he would take the Hill versus the Reds at his very first start and pitch a complete game, 11-3 victory, to halt uh, a seven-game Cubs losing streak. That was against the Reds. Maddox made five more starts in 1986, the last one coming against his brother, Mike, who was promoted himself earlier that season to the Philadelphia Phillies, leading the Cubs to an 8-3 win. Greg and his brother, Mike, they became teammates for the first time in the 1987 offseason, playing winter ball together in Venezuela. And Greg was reunited with his minor league pitching coach, Dick Pohl. <laughs> One of the greatest names in baseball history. But it was Dick Pohl who taught Maddox the value of the ground ball out. And he once told Greg something he would never forget. You don't have to strike out every bat in your face. You just have to get them out. It was then that Maddox was gaining confidence. And showed that he would throw any pitch in the arsenal in any count. The true mark of an MLB ace. In fact, whenever Paul was a pitching coach on opposing teams throughout Greg's career, he would warn his hitters that Mad Dog is fearless and he will bring a changeup on a full count in the ninth with two outs and the bases loaded. Fuck what you heard. Maddox did have one more brief stint on the Cubs farm in 1987 uh, before being caught up for good. You know, and he said, you know, I just wasn't getting outs. They had to send me down. I wasn't getting outs. I wasn't making pitches. That's my job as a pitcher. He had a fantastic start to the 1988 season, earning his first All-Star nod in 1989. He starts slow before catching fire. During those two seasons, in 69 starts, he goes 37-20 with a 3.07 ERA. In 1992, Maddox blisters the opposition for 10 wins by early July. And he gets his second All-Star knot. He actually, in that game, he relieves NL starter Tom Glavin of the Braves in that midseason classic. Uh... And Glavin, he had a 13-3 record, seemed destined to win the, you know, his second consecutive Cy Young Award. But Mad Dog, he came out the second half, and he is lights out. He finishes the season with a 2.18 ERA, which is third best in the majors, and 268 innings pitched for the most in all of baseball. Although wins above replacement was not widely used in 1992, Fangraph's data shows that Greg had the highest war in all of baseball in 1992 with a 9.4. And 9.2 of that was for pitching only. Maddox won his first Cy Young and Glavin placed second. At the conclusion of the 1992 season, Greg hits the free agent market for the first time in his career. The reigning NL Cy Young pitcher had his agent, Scott Boris, begin negotiations with the Cubs' GM, Larry Himes. The Cubs offered a five-year, $25.7 million contract, 
which <laughs> that just sounds so small today, right? And I can remember in 1992 thinking, Jesus Christ, $25.7 million. And that's, you know, that's what dudes get a year now. When Mad Dog doesn't bite on this offer, the Cubs went out, they signed Rangers pitcher Jose Guzman. And in Greg's eyes, they appeared to back off on their offer to him. The Yankees topped all the offers with a five-year, $37.5 million deal. And in all honesty, Maddox is ready to go play for the Yankees. And, you know, with him poised to play in the boogie down Bronx, a late shot in the dark by the Braves for $28 million caught his attention. Maddox had a few reasons for taking less money from Atlanta over the Yankees. Namely, he felt Atlanta would be a better place to raise his family over New York City. Greg had married his high school sweetheart, Kathy Rodow, in 1988. She was now pregnant with his daughter, Paige. And the Maddox unit would grow in 1997 with the birth of their second child, a son named Chase. So the decision for what is best for his new family weighed heavy in his free agency decision. And folks, before we begin on the Braves chapter of the Greg Maddox bio, I'm going to take a quick break, gather my thoughts, pay some bills, talk to my boy Gage. Please support the grassroots sponsors who support your grassroots pods. When we come back, we'll pick up with Maddox's stellar years in Atlanta. So don't go anywhere, folks. BRB. I'll see you on the other side of the break. Howdy, y'all. This is Big Tech's Gage Geek. Executive producer of Backwards K Pod. In Texas, we do everything big. After football and golf, there's probably nothing I love more than going fishing and enjoying a good crawfish boil. The only thing I dislike about going fishing is the lingering odor it can leave on your hands afterwards. Well, the Fish and Hand Cleaner is an all-natural liquid soap perfect for overpowering fish and bait odors from your hands. I can't tell you how many times I've eaten steamed crabs, lobster, shrimp, crawfish, and then washed my hands with regular soap, only to touch my eyes half hour later, and my face begins to melt off due to the damn Cajun Old Bay spices. Well, we also have a hand cleaner, specifically formulated to use after eating shellfish and other seafoods. Perfect for cleaning spicy, smelly hands after a Texas-sized seafood feast. In these cases, don't settle for anything less than our crawfish hand cleaner, our crab hand cleaner, or the fishing hand cleaner. An ingenious trifecta of natural hand soaps developed and owned by a disabled Navy veteran. He and Jake have a true connection, as they were boot camp shipmates all the way back in 1989. So he is family, folks. And one thing we do here at the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network is look out for family. So you can support two grassroots companies by two former shipmate Navy vets. 
crushing big bowls of shellfish, or fishing on the banks of your favorite river, while you listen to BKP. Sounds like a great day. You know, in fact, hey Ma, where are my poles? I'm gone fishing. There's also a buffalo wing hand cleaner in development as we speak. To check all of the incredible products of this great company, you can go to www.crawfishhandcleaner.com or call the home offices at 713-588-0290. That's 713-588-0290 to support the grassroots company that supports your grassroots podcast show. That's crawfishhandcleaner.com or 713-588-0290 to prepare for your summer time shellfish feast or that fishing trip you're planning. Crawfishhandcleaner.com Toughest out of your career. Well, there was a lot of them, Dan. I mean, there was, uh, you know, there were one or two guys on every team that, that, that hit me around pretty good. You know, uh, uh, you know, Louis Gonzalez, Mickey Morandini, Tony Gwynn. I mean, you could pick a team and I'll give you two guys that were tough to get out, you know, for me personally. And, uh, uh, you know, luckily you, uh, you beat lineups and not, and not hitters. <laughs> you know, you got to kind of, sometimes you got to pick your fights and know where your 27 outs are. How'd you do against Bonds? You know what? I, uh, I, I didn't do good against him the first half of the career and the second half of the career. I did pretty well against him. You know, I think, uh, <laughs> uh, he was easily the best hitter in, in, uh, in baseball. I mean, he, 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 he was the guy when I was playing. And, uh, you know, like I said, you got to pick your fights. So, you know, you, <laughs> you got to do what you can to get Jeff Kinn out and the rest of the guys. I got you striking out Bonds 16 times in your career. That's that's the most of any pitcher versus Bonds. Congratulations, Greg. Well, you know what? Thank you. But, you know, I think it took me over 160 <laughs> at-bats to do that. <laughs> I, think if, uh, I think if some guys would have faced him as much as I did, they probably would have struck him out a lot more. I remember, you know, having conversations with Smoltz and Glavin, and they talked about Tony Gwynn, and they just said it didn't matter sometimes what you threw. You could tell him what you were throwing. Like, you, you just – it didn't matter. Did you ever get that feeling? Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter what I throw. You know what? It it, it didn't matter. Uh, it, it mattered because you wanted to keep him to a single. So usually if you kept the ball down and away off of him, you very rarely would give up a double. And, you know, it goes back to the beating the lineups again. You know, you had to get Ken Caminetti out behind him. If you did that, you were going to be okay. How much baseball are you? He was. He was. Tony was easily the best pure hitter in baseball. Rebel, rebel, bitch, bitch, rebel, rebel, body, body, sex, 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 forget the violence, blah, blah, blah. Got your lovey, lovey, saddle on the stick, you stupid slogan, and everybody sing along. Everything has been said before, nothing left to say anymore. It's all the same, you can ask for it by name. I am a motherfucker. Folks, backwards K Pod. 
where we collect ball players and their stories. And before the break, Maddox had won his first Cy Young Award, and he was the most highly coveted free agent on the market. The Cubs try to lowball him. Agent Scott Boris, they balk at that offer. And the Cubs, in a real butterfly effect moment, they pivot off of Maddox. They sign Rangers free agent Jose Guzman. The Yankees swoop in and offer him a five-year, $37.5 million contract as he is preparing to sign with the Yankees. The Braves offer him the same years and $28 million. And because of what's best for him and his family, he chooses Atlanta over New York for less money, but still almost $3 million more than what the Cubs had offered initially. Okay, so we're all caught up, right? Opening day, 1993, Maddox returns to Wrigley. Uh, he's in Braves colors as the opening day ace for Atlanta. He stymies the Cubs and Ranch Valley High School alum pitcher Mike Morgan with a one nothing shutout. He seemed unfazed about the fans' vociferous boos directed at him, at him in his return. Although... He understood the hard feelings from the disappointed fans. He was a little pissed off by the comments Hall of Fame second baseman Ryan Sandberg made to the media when he intimated that Maddox was looking to sign with Atlanta all along, and he's basically, he used the Cubs and then the Yankees to maximize his value with the Braves. And that's kind of a no-no in the player's fraternity. You, you never badmouth another player for getting paid. Because, you know, at the end of the day, you're all part of the same mighty players union whose number one priority is to push salary. Also, things change. You, you never know when and if you and that player are going to cross paths in the future. But Sandberg went there and Greg didn't appreciate it. Maddox countered by saying he called the Cubs repeatedly during the final stages of the negotiation and had the Cubs simply put the original offer back on the table, he would have given the Cubs serious consideration. Unbeknownst by Maddox during the final stages of signing his deal, the Northsiders had signed free agent closer Randy Myers and free agent starter Dan Plezak, causing GM Hines to say basically, you know, the Cubs went over budget and in just those two arms and in the end, there really wasn't any money left over for Maddox. Facts that, you know, Sandberg either fails to recognize or chose to ignore, which is the second reason players should not talk about another player's salary. Houston Astros GM Jerry Hunsaker, he called the signing a baseball coup, the best free agent signing in the history of the game. Braves pitching coach Leo Mazzoni wasn't sure if Maddox would be the greatest free agent signing in baseball history, but he knew from day one that he just became a lot smarter because of this addition. Maddox was joining an already fierce Braves rotation, a former and future Cy Young winner Tom Glavin, future Cy Young winner John Smoltz, and a top left-handed youngster named Steve Avery. Winners of the last two pennants, 
the Braves allowed the Braves staff allowed the fewest runs in the National League in 1993, with a strong lineup bolstered by shortstop Jeff Blauser, outfielders Ron Gant, David Justice. Atlanta was near the top of the league in runs. The only team that came close to them in both of those statistical categories was their biggest rival, the San Francisco Giants, with 104 wins. The Braves edged the Giants by a game with, 100, uh, with those 104 wins uh, to take the NL West pennant once again. Avery started game one of the NLCS versus the NL East champion Philadelphia Phillies, which the Braves lost in 10 innings. Maddox on full rest. He pitched well game two as the Braves tied the series at one. Filthy took two of the next three forcing the Braves into a must-win Game 6. Maddox was pitching, and he was atrocious. He gave up six runs, and five of them earned, and he didn't make it out of six. The Phillies finished him off and advanced to the World Series. Maddox's sterling 2.36 regular season ERA and 267 innings pitched earned his second consecutive NL Cy Young and his first as a Brave. The 1994-95 seasons were truncated by a player strike, and Maddox barely pitched over 200 innings pitched between the two innings. And I've covered that strike in multiple shows, most notably the death of the Expos pod. There's also one of the greatest Greg Maddox stories ever told in that pod. If you haven't heard that show, you can listen to it anywhere you listen to your pods, or you can go to my website, diamondsnakejake.podbean.com, to hear the death of the Expos or any of the shows I have in my always expanding vault of archives. His ERA in 1994 was 1.56. Two years before, when Mad Dog won his first side, NL teams were averaging 3.9 runs per game. And the league ERA sat at 3.5. In 1994, the sluggers began to take over. The National League was averaging 4.6 runs per game, and the league's ERA was now 4.21. So, what I'm trying to convey to you is that Maddox, with his 1.56 ERA, was only 37.1% of the league average in runs allowed that year. That's even better than what Bob Gibson achieved in 1968 with his record 1.12 ERA, and that was the year of the pitcher. In 1995, Maddox and his 1.63 ERA, it accounted for only 39% of the league average. So he's barely more than a third of the league's average in runs allowed. In 1994 and 95. So, what we all know in hindsight now, there was some serious hanky-panky going on with the prodigious offense on display in the major leagues during this era. Maddox finished this four-year run of sustained excellence with his first World Series appearance. On seven days rest, he started game one of the 1995 World Series versus the young and powerful Cleveland Indians. And he was masterful. And the first, Indian center fielder Kenny Lofton reached on an error. He then came around to score. 
And the only other Cleveland hitters to get a hit off Greg that day was uh, Jim Tomei in a single in the fifth and a Lawton single in the ninth. Atlanta would go on to win game one, three to two. And Mad Dog had a chance to finish off the tribe five days later. But he wasn't nearly as sharp as, as in game one. He gave up two runs in the bottom of the first. The Braves would tie the game, but Maddox would surrender two more runs and take the loss. And it's actually <laughs> him and uh, future Hall of Famer, Eddie Murray, had a classic confrontation in that. Greg Maddox, the master of control, he comes a little high and tight on Eddie Murray, who, you know, I've seen Eddie for many years growing up in Baltimore, and he just doesn't play that nonsense. So, you know, a little back and forth between Maddox and Murray, two, you know, Hall of Fame greats. And, you know, everybody comes out, is talking shit, both dugouts. Earl, Oral Hershiser goes to the mound. And he tells Maddox, you know, you're better than that. Your control is better than that. You know that you didn't mean, that was that was no accident. And Grattix, Maddox looks at him as he walks away and he like smirks at him like, whatever dude, get the fuck out of here. It's so fucking classic. You gotta check it out on YouTube if you ever get a chance. The Braves would still go on to win the crown in game seven, one and nothing, thanks to a clutch Dave Justice solo shot and the superb pitching of Glavin and Mark Wallers. Maddox pitched in two more series. Game two of the 1996 World Series versus the Yankees. He pitched eight scoreless innings, allowed six hits, no walks, shut out the Bombers four to nothing. He was a losing pitcher in the final game, though, as the Yankees took the series four games to two. In 1999, the Yankees again beat the Braves for the chip in a four-game sweep. And in this series, Maddox pitched the opener. He held a one nothing lead going into the eighth before New York chokes him and the Braves out with a four-run outburst. His performance in World Series games was very good for the most part, but he does share the responsibility in his 2-3 and three World Series win-loss record. He did have a 2.09 ERA in World Series appearances. Between 1989 to 2008, Mad Dog appeared in 35 postseason games, 198 innings pitched, 11 and 14 with a 3.27 ERA. As for the regular season, Maddox continued his stellar, consistent ways, although he didn't receive any more Cy Young awards. Not that he wasn't still elite. Between 1996 and 2000, he was in the top five in Cy Young voting four times. His 1997 season would have been Cy-worthy in years past, but Pedro Martinez is now emerging into the best pitcher on the planet at that time, and he's about to string together six consecutive Maddox-like seasons of his own. And honestly, they're even better. And although Martinez was no longer an NL Cy Young rival when he bolts for Boston in 1997, the league continued to have strong contenders without Pedro in the fold. In fact, two of his teammates, Glavin in 1998, Smoltz in 96, they are on the side during this period as well. 
and Randy Johnson for the Snakes would eventually match Greg's four straight Cy Young Award stretch. Greg would continue into the 21st century as an elite arm, despite not being a perennial contender for the Cy anymore. He pitched with the Braves through 2003 before returning back to the North Side Cubs for the 2004 season. Over the next few seasons, he had stints with the Dodgers and the Padres, and I'll be honest for the life of me, and I just can't remember him in a Dodgers uniform. But somewhere in my psyche, I have this block there. I know he played for them. I just don't remember. I just don't remember him. I remember him in every uniform except for that Dodgers blue. I truly don't remember this. It's like it's like Unitas, you know, in a Chargers uniform. It's just so foreign to my brain. His last game, in fact, wasn't relief for the Dodgers in the final game of the 2008 NLCS versus his rivals, Filthy. He gave up two unearned, and the Phillies eliminated the Dodgers to snatch the NL pennant and route to a World Series champion. Again, Greg Maddox in a Dodgers uniform. Coming out of the bully. Elimination game. Two unearned. I just somewhere in my repressed memory is this image. Maybe it's best that I don't fucking remember. With Maddox set to begin uh free you know, become a free agent at the end of the year, he quietly announces his retirement in December. By traditional stats standards, Maddox was a beast both at his peak and overall career. From 1988 to 2004, he never finished with less than 15 wins in a season. His 355 wins is second only to Brave Southpaw Warren Spahn's 363 since 1930. He's an enigma whose fastball Routinely, routinely clocked in at 89 miles per hour, topped out at 91 on a good day. But he threw more fastballs than most established pitchers of his era. He did. His lack of major league velocity, it never intimidated him because of his uncanny fastball command. He could literally pinpoint and paint the black with late, ridiculous movement. It never hurt that the umps usually gave his command the benefit of the doubt on a close pitch, living on the edge. And he had this knack for throwing strikes and still giving you nothing to barrel. He's probably the best I ever saw at doing that. I've seen pitchers who can get you to swing at pitches out of the zone, but Maddox is throwing strikes and you're still not barreling this shit. Maddox had the penchant for turning to Mazzoni and saying, I'm going to get such and such out with the third pitch on a ground ball and a blouser at short. And then he would go out and do it. And what separated Maddox from everyone else was his ability to start the flight path of the pitch outside the strike zone and at the very last millisecond, the ball would dart back and paint the black. And as a hitter, you're trained to not swing at pitches that come out of that window outside the strike zone because you assume 
If it starts outside the strike zone, it's going to break outside the strike zone. And Greg lived by the philosophy that the most lethal pitch is a fastball with command. That's always going to be the best pitch because if you have that, you can set up everything else off of that. However you break these stats down, traditional or metric, Greg Maddox is one of the all-time greats, dominating batters who were bashing home runs in astounding numbers and was easily elected to the National Baseball Hall of Fame in 2014, along with his teammates, Tom Glavin and his brave skipper, Bobby Cox, in a playing a pretty for Atlanta baseball celebration. However you break these stats down, traditional metric, it doesn't even matter. I mean, he's, he's right there. The Maddox, they've made their, uh, Las Vegas their home where Greg, the scratch golfer, loves to abuse the local courses. He's taken on assorted duties with various teams, including as assistant to the Cubs GM, mainly focusing on working with the pitchers. That was from 2010 to 2012. He's been a special assistant to the Dodgers. He's helped his brother in two stints with the Texas Rangers. Most recently, uh, 2023, where he and his brother overlooked the new free agent acquisition, Jacob DeGrom. He was the pitching coach for the 2016 U.S. team and the 2016 WBC, which the Americans won on the strength of their pitching, by the way. In 2016, he joined the UNLV Rebels as a volunteer and assistant coach since his son Chase made that team. And when I think of Doggy, the first thing that comes to mind is and never trust a book by his cover. Uh, he may look like the family accountant or maybe even like, you know, the family divorce lawyer. Maybe you were to judge him by his looks. But don't be fooled by that all-American dad bullshit look. Uh, he's a surgeon in disguise. On a usual night, he's going to have impeccable command. He's going to throw strikes. He's going to get ahead. And the game is going to fly. And there's going to be n- no need for a pitch co- clock. He's going to use his scalpel, and he's going to keep nicking you with what seems like, you know, harmless scratches until you look at yourself around the seventh and notice, you know, you're a fucking bloody mess. And there are many things in life I've yet to see that are on my bucket list. I haven't seen the Eiffel Tower, Mount Fuji, the Nazare in Portugal, the Great Pyramids of the Giza, the Nazca Lines in Peru, the Sistine Chapel, the Vatican... I mean, there's still plenty to see before you put that backwards K in the book by my name. But look, I have seen a maestro at work. I've seen a real-time art on the baseball diamond. Nothing short of genius at work. Whether I see any of those monuments in my lifetime remains to be, remains to be seen. But I consider myself a, you know, a pretty lucky bastard to have seen a pitching savant and an absolute artist at work in front of me before my eyes. I don't take that for granted. It was an honor to watch that dude. Real talk. One thing is for certain. Never hire Maddox Brothers Painting Company. They're, they're only trained to paint the edges and corners. It's a lot of complaints on Yelp. I always called a mad dog a doggy. 
I never called him the professor as others did. To me, calling him the professor is, you know, falling into that trap of underestimating Gregory. And that's a mistake. He's a, he's a killer. He's, you know, his cerebral nature and earned him that moniker, the professor. I get it. But that dude, he's a killer. He's a mad dog. And that, boys and girls, is the story of Mad Dog Greg Maddox. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed telling a story. And I'll try to be better next week. So, before I do the Tim Hardaway UTEP two-step out of here, let's dig into these crazy-ass stats and milestones for the incomparable Greg Maddox. See what we got here. Gregory Allen Maddox, born April 14, 1968, in San Angelo, Texas. So, this Friday, the pitching great will be celebrating his 57th birthday. Where the fuck has time gone? 57. Wow. So, be sure to wish Doggy a happy birthday this weekend on social media. 23 Major League Baseball, 23-year Major League Baseball career with the Cubs, Braves, Padres, and Dodgers. He carried a war of 106.6. Three times he led the NL in wins above replacement, 1992, 1994, and 1995. 744 games, 740 of those were starts. He faced 20,421 batters in his career. Four times he led the NL and most batters faced. 355 wins, 227 losses for a 610 winning percentage. Three times he led the National League in wins, 1992, 94, and 95. And two times he had the best winning percentage in the league. 1995, he went 19-2. And in 1997, he goes 19-4. Only won 20 games once, but from 1988 to 2004, he never won less than 15 games. That's a 16-year run of 15 or more wins, folks. That's most impressive, most consistent. 3.16 career ERA, four times had the best ERA in the National League. 1993, 94, 95, and 98. 3.26 3.26 FIP. 35 career shutouts. Five times he led the NL in shutouts. 5,008 and a third innings pitched. Five times he led the NL in innings pitched. 3,371 strikeouts with a fastball that couldn't break fucking glass. And he's only surrendered 999 walks. Nine times he surrendered the fewest walks per inning in the league. 132 ERA plus and a 1.14 whip. He is the only pitcher with 3,000 strikeouts and less than 1,000 walks. The first pitcher to win four straight Cy Young awards from 1992 to 1995. The first with the Cubbies in 1992 and the rest with Atlanta. Nine times he was top five first place vote getter for the uh, award. Eight All-Star appearances, 18 Gold Glove Awards, the most by any player in the history of baseball at any position. 
He won 13 of those gold gloves in a row from 1990 to 2002. And 2014, Doggy was inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame, Cooperstown, New York, with 97.2% of the vote. And there you have it, folks. The immortal Greg Maddox is now in our collection. Thank you for hanging out in the dojo with me this week. I appreciate anyone who takes time out of their day to listen to me. So, with Mad Dog, now in the books, I now turn my steely-eyed attention to next week. And I'm going to chop the head of the Baseball Hydra, only to see two more topics appear in its place. Next week, I promise, we're going to go in on Mad Dog's teammate, the one who said Maddox once peed on him in the shower at the top of the show. His former teammate, one of the all-time great switch hitters that ever did it. Yes, folks, I'm talking Larry Chipper Jones. But look, that's another story for another pod here at Backwards K-Pod, where we collect ballplayers and their stories. BKP is available on all platforms, wherever you listen to your pods. Or you can visit my website, diamondsnakejake.podbean.com to hear any of the shows and my always expanding vault of archives. If you are on any of these platforms that offer you a chance to, uh, you know, rate and review me, please do so as you see fit. I ain't scared. I do what I do when I do it, and I do it better than anyone else. And I say that in all fucking humility. So please... Gave me some stars and superlatives so I can continue to keep doing what I love the most. And that's talking baseball to find folks such as yourself. You can email me at backwardskpod at gmail.com. The show Twitter handle is at back underscore k underscore podcast. My personal Twitter handle is at j-r-o-b-b-i-e and the number one. That's jrobbie one our Instagram page and YouTube channel is Backwards K Pod. And you can always find me at the private Facebook group page, the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. Answer the questions. Come on in and join my dysfunctional CMED family. We got a crazy four week stretch ahead of us. I got Chipper Jones next week. Our live interview with Benny Ayala's back on. And I will also be interviewing former slugger Ruben Sierra the first week of April. So stay tuned, folks. I got a lot in store for you this season. I want to thank Matt Asbury for finally fixing my logo situation with Apple this week. Omar Gabi, my social media secret agent, who has been there since day one, helping me jump out of the window, you know, stopping me from jumping out of the window sometimes. Uh, Omar Gabi, my assistant producer. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Ozzy Cruz, my assistant producer, helps me so much along the way. And of course, Big Tex, my pod squatch, executive producer, Craig uh, Gage Gehan, who is back from vacation today. So, yeah, Maddox is in the books. 
Chippers on deck, making his way to the box. Back to back, brave shows. You're welcome, Atlanta. Parents, if you see your kids sitting on the couch, got their nose in the phone looking bored AF, by all means, take him or her outside and play a game of catch. Thank y'all for coming out. God bless and win the day. And like my boy Shay Hillebrand told me in our one-on-one interview, you go to hell, Andy Pettit. See you next week, Seamed Freaks. Peace.